0: About Empathy is a podcast about patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experiences with serious illness. This podcast gives voice to their stories. With each episode, we hope these engaging discussions inspire you to have more empathic, authentic, and compassionate conversations. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani, and I'm here with my co hosts, Dr. Doris Sagracha,
1: and I'm Dr. Irene Yang.
0: For years, we've worked together, talked together, and learned from each other in our roles as palliative care physicians. Thank you for listening. We are happy to welcome Julie Viza to the podcast today. Born with a multifaceted genetic condition, beta thalassemia major, Julie's healthcare journey has inspired her to work with several organizations as a patient advocate, providing a voice for those with complex healthcare needs. Julie's experiences continue to strengthen her conviction that understanding the perspectives of patients is a necessary component of supporting improvements to health outcomes. Julie credits her healthcare experiences as the greatest influence in her pursuit of a doctoral degree, where her research interests surround leveraging the expertise of patients to improve the delivery of care across the healthcare system. Julie is a member of several patient advisory committees and is a patient partner at University Health Network. She continues to advocate for patient engagement in both health professions, education and research initiatives. Julie, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having
0: me. Julie, can you tell us more about how your own personal experiences with chronic illness led you to take on the role of a patient care partner? And could you share an experience or a story that helped inspire the realization that your voice could help empower both you and others?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, what it comes down to, I'm often asked this question is that growing up and, you know, very much still today, but I've learned to be a better advocate for myself. I felt like my voice went unheard, that my preferences and my values when it came to decision making weren't necessarily appreciated by my healthcare team growing up. And so I think being a patient partner is something that allows me to provide a voice for perhaps people who haven't learned how to advocate maybe as well, I should say, that I've got a lot of experience, or that don't have the opportunity to do it. So that's kind of why I think maybe being a patient partner is so important. The greatest example I can tell you of an experience is when I was younger, a teenager, I had a wonderful, very kind social worker at my pediatric hospital who was great. And she really tried. It was something I could see even as an angry young person that she was trying her best. And I remember just one day being so frustrated and saying to her, like, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And kind of stomping my feet. And that was it. And then I left pediatric care, transitioned to adult care and went back to visit my pediatric hospital often. In one of those visits, we bumped into her, my mom and I. And at that time, she had had a child of her own with special needs and the conversation very quickly turned to her saying to me, I understand what you mean now. I understand what you meant that day when you told me I just didn't understand having a son with special needs. I have a different way of understanding and appreciating complex care needs and what that entails. And so I think that has something that has always stayed with me. And it's definitely a story I share often, because I think it really, again, provides a great example of how sometimes our providers want to help us, but there's a lack of really what is going on or the perspective of the patient in their delivering of care.
1: Julie, you gave us this example of how a lived experience by the healthcare professional can really alter the way that they understand the patient experience And, you know, in turn, the care that they provide potentially. For a lot of us, we don't necessarily have those lived experiences. And so do you have, you know, suggestions for healthcare providers who haven't been patients or haven't been caregivers themselves? How do they bridge the gap of understanding the patient experience?
2: Yeah, so again, I think that's where the role of patient partners can come in and really be really important and an asset to these initiatives. Because you're right, not everyone can be a patient and not every patient experience is equal. Patient experiences are very unique. Having said that, I think there's a lot of experiences that's transferable to other situations and patients may be going through similar experiences. So I think one thing we can do is listen. We can listen to patients. We can incorporate their stories and stories of caregivers' perspectives into initiatives, whether it be for education or changing policies or even designing hospitals. You know, I was on a call just the other day where we talked about surgical rooms and suites and what they look like and what they feel like to a patient and maybe how we can help them with things like feeling vulnerable or having anxiety in these rooms, how we can make them kind of less institutionalized and less cold, if you will. Right. So I think it comes down to those little things that we can start listening to patients on their feelings, their preferences, what they value in care and seeing how we can equate that to making changes in the way we deliver care.
3: Just when you were talking there, you're talking about what uh, patient advocates can do, patient partners. Is there a role and responsibility for all patients in what they bring to the encounter? I know as doctors, the three of us think a lot about what is my role and my responsibility to make this encounter as good as it can be. Is that part of being a patient? Do you think about that, your role and responsibility?
2: I think I do think about it. And on a personal level, I take it very seriously. I'm not someone who believes that patients get to show up and be passive in their care. But I want to say that having just said that, the caveat is that not every patient has the capacity to be able to advocate for themselves or to even know sometimes what questions they're supposed to be asking. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where we lean on professionals Mm -hmm. to be able to get to know the patient they are providing care to and seeing what is their needs, what are their preferences, and how can I help this particular patient? Because again, it's not something that we're born with. I just have a lot of years of experience. I've also had some really great opportunities. I also chose to get into a career path that just happens to be medically inclined. So Mm -hmm. that's obviously helped with my even just language and how I can communicate with my providers. But no, I don't think it's a requirement. I think it feels like a little bit of a responsibility to me in the sense of because I have been afforded these opportunities to be able to give back and share my experiences as a learning tool for others, but in no capacity do I also think that only my experiences matter or that they are the same for every patient.
3: Julie, that was a great answer to, I'm trying to think of roles and responsibilities of physicians and patients, and I think as doctors we want to invite patients to tell us what's going on, but we don't want it to burden them. And I'm just trying to think of what's the best way we can figure out where is this particular patient at right now with inviting them into the role of telling us about their experience? How do we get that right balance?
2: Um, Yeah, so I think for me, that comes down to creating space for patients to be able to share their experiences, whatever they're comfortable with, or ask perhaps questions that providers might think are silly or irrelevant. I think when you find yourself in a state of vulnerability, which is most healthcare interactions, unfortunately, that there needs to be this opportunity for space. And I'm not sure we're really good at creating that. So I can give you an example. I had a resident ask me, well, how do I get to know a patient in the time it takes me to get their history? Because my preceptor said, I just supposed to go into that room, and I'm supposed to get their history, what's relevant to the situation, and then get out of there. And that doesn't seem like patient centered care to me. Right. And so I think, again, Creating that space where there might be things that are important to patients and they just don't know how to share them, or maybe they feel like they're not relevant to their care. But the reality is that healthcare is not just something that happens in a bubble, and we need to create space for them to be able to share what they feel is important in their healthcare scenarios or interactions.
1: Julie, I love your message around active listening and creating space for the patient. And I think, you know, Giovanna, and myself, as palliative care providers, we do have that luxury of being able to sit and spend more time with patients and get to know them as a person and not as their medical illness. But I do know a lot of our listeners are probably saying, where am I going to find time for this? Because I'm already run off my feet trying to get all of the medical stuff done. And I'd love to find out more about my patient and take a more holistic perspective. But, you know, how do I do this? What do you have to say to our listeners who are thinking that?
2: Yeah, so I think this is something that is not just a individual provider issue. I think this is a system problem, right? So if we think about again how we are training providers to go into rooms, get the information that matters to them for a diagnosis, and to leave the room, it doesn't really facilitate or, to me, define what patient centered care is. And I think it becomes really detrimental to patients to not feel heard, to not feel valued, and to not be able to spend some time to get across what is important to them. Mm-hmm. So an example. I can provide for this is time I spent at my pediatric institution. I cannot express enough, you know, 133637 was my patient number. And I can't express enough how many days I felt like I was just getting shoveled through the system as 133637 and not as Julie and how detrimental that was to my health and well-being. And it's something that still impacts me and my interactions with healthcare today.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story, Julie.
0: You wrote an article along with Dr. Ariel Lefkowitz and Dr. Ariel Cooper about the role of patients in healthcare education. And in that article, you talk about Ensuring that patient engagement in medical education is is truly valued and impactful and not tokenistic. So from your perspective, how do we make sure in medical education that patients are not just medical education, but also research? And like you said earlier, and policy design and designing hospitals, how do we make sure that it's not tokenistic, their involvement?
2: there's a couple of things that I can think of off the top of my head. One thing is that we make sure that we align patients with a certain experience to the initiative correctly in, in the sense of, you know, I can only speak about certain health experiences. I don't have experience in every possible health experience. So when I show up to an activity or initiative, there has to be some prep work that goes into understanding what exactly I'm able or even that I want to be able to speak to. I think the other thing we do is that we really take a look at the constructs of hierarchy and kind of power imbalances that currently exist between patients and providers, right? So providers are often gatekeepers of these health initiatives. They are the ones kind of scheduling and coming up with an agenda and perhaps even posing the questions that they are going to be asking this patient partner. And I think if we can start getting to a point where we allow patients to take a little more power, if you will, or authority over what that looks like, what they want to teach about today, or what they want to share today. That's a way that we can say, hey, we value what you think is important. Yeah. And I think those are the two kind of major things that stick out in my mind. So in that article, we talked a lot about representation. Ariel did a wonderful job kind of outlining what that means in terms of participation in these initiatives. And I think, yeah, that's really important.
0: Thanks Julie, can you maybe share an example from your own work, you know at UHN or with a different organization in terms of how that was done well or an initiative that was successful in that way from the patient perspective?
2: There's been quite a few really positive examples I've had. I think one of the biggest one that stands out for me is working with Dr. Heather Ross's team in Transform Heart Failure. I have experience with congestive heart failure. I was in and out of heart failure several times while dealing with iron overload as a complication of my disease burden. And something that's been really great with that team is that they've taken a lot of time to understand exactly what my experiences are and what I can and cannot speak to when it comes to living with congestive heart failure. And I think that's really important because their initiative goes far beyond the boundaries of my own experiences in terms of engagement to other communities and other populations that have different experiences than me. And we, I think, have done a good job together understanding what exactly I can contribute to and what is beyond my capacity to contribute to.
3: That sounds really great, Julian. I'm the oldest physician in this group, and I'm thinking over the past few years that that sounds like something I wouldn't have seen when I was a student, but perhaps you see more now. And you've now had 15 years at bringing your patient experience to the forefront to help us. Have you noticed a change over the time that you've been taking on this role in medicine education?
2: Absolutely. I see it daily in my healthcare journey, and I think that it's incredibly hopeful. Again, if I go back to how I felt as a young person, I felt very hopeless. I felt like things would not get better. There was a time in my life that I just felt that life was kind of pointless and that I was getting exhausted from going through this circle of not feeling valued and not feeling heard. At one point, had a physician tell me that she spent eight years in medical school and knew exactly my circumstance and what I was going through. And again, that's something I keep with me all the time because I think the problem there was probably her education right. and her approach to dealing with patients. So I do see a change. I think where I find myself now is that a lot of people speak of patient engagement. They speak of patient centered care. And I'm not sure we've developed a kind of foolproof framework for doing that. And so I think a lot of providers that I work with are kind of looking for support in how do they go about that and, and what does effective patient engagement look like and how do they get there?
3: Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, Julie, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives and experiences with us. When we wrap up our interview, we usually like to ask our guests to finish the sentence if only they knew. So, Julie, what do you wish healthcare providers knew about your own experience to help support them to provide more empathetic care for patients?
2: Wow, there's so many things. But one (laughs) thing that sticks out to me is the idea that patients are doing the best they can Mm -hmm. to make decisions that they can live with at the end of the day. And sometimes that looks different than what our providers think is the right path to choose. And yeah, and I think that really amplifies why again, we need that patient perspective throughout everything in healthcare.
1: I love that. I think that's such an important lesson for us to remember.
2: I agree. I did want to
0: also just add to that, you know, in terms of healthcare providers turning to you as the expert in your own illness, but also an expert as a doctoral student and them turning to you to say, you know, how can I provide a framework for patient-centered care? So if someone comes to you, you're in the hallway and someone says, how do I make this better? What do you say to them?
2: I think the first thing is listen, actively listen. And I think the second thing is the ability to be self-reflective and understand what assumptions and beliefs you are bringing to the table when you ask that question itself, right? Why does that question even have to be posed? Why can't we just all understand that we all come to the table with lived experience and a certain amount of expertise in whatever that is in and that those things are all valuable and that perhaps together we can start coming up with real life solutions?
0: Thanks, Julie. That's that's really very helpful. And I think it's so generous of you to share your story with us and to spend the time and to really help us better understand from your perspective as an expert in multiple realms in terms of your illness experience, but also expert in health education and research. So thank you for joining us
3: today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Julie. You're listening to About Empathy. This season of About Empathy has been funded by the Gold Define through the Tammy Latner Center for Palliative Care at Sinai Health in Toronto. The Tammy Latner Center for Palliative Care's vision is to allow patients and their families to experience a seamless system of caring through the embodiment of its core values of humanity, collaboration, innovation, and communication. To learn more, visit tlcpc.org. Welcome back to
0: About Empathy. That was a great conversation that we had so much helpful and rich thoughts about how to really engage patient experts and have them be empowered partners, really, in medical education and in the healthcare system. What stood out for both of you?
1: I loved when Julie brought up the point that when we are caring for patients and caregivers to remind ourselves that they're really doing the best that they can, they're making the best decisions that they can in the circumstances and that's actually sort of like something that I remind myself of regularly especially if it's a situation where I may not agree with the patient or family or caregiver's decisions Because I have to kind of remind myself that there's sort of a clash in values there. And I could spend hours talking to them, but I'll never really understand truly, you know, the history, the complex dynamics, the possible traumas that that patient or caregiver have been through. And that is influencing their decisions right now. And so I find, yeah, it's very helpful for me to remind myself sometimes if there is that clash to say, look, everyone, myself and the patients and their families, we're doing the very best we can to cope with the situation that we're faced
0: with. That makes a lot of sense. And I think we've all encountered that in our practice where there's that idea of a perceived difference in decision making. Mm -hmm. I find that really interesting, actually, because we're not in that situation. And so I think it's something that we have to think about really deeply if we're trying to bring our perspective on that situation when we haven't actually experienced that perspective mm-hmm. I think we have to be kind of more humble in our perspective around that and just being cautious you know about how we enter that encounter especially because we haven't lived it
1: yeah I mean I'll mention one of my uh, can I say it's a pet peeve mm-hmm. oftentimes in those situations where there are clashes that I'll hear oftentimes providers say you know that situation is so sad because the family have made this decision for something that the healthcare team don't necessarily agree with. And I feel like patients and families, like they don't want the pity for them. It's not a sad situation for them. It's probably the best answer in a really crappy situation. And so, you know, in those kinds of situations, I really try to like pivot myself out of thinking that. And I think Julie's suggestion of saying like, we're doing the best that we can is a really powerful way to
0: remind myself. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. The other thing that stood out for me as well was about when she talked about creating space to have a patient-centered conversation and to engage in what the patient's priorities are. And she talked about how she thinks that that's a system issue and not necessarily a provider issue. Mm -hmm. I definitely see it as being both. I think there's times when the provider doesn't create space, but I also think that it's, I think, really helpful to know that we also work within a system that depending on your clinical world and clinical life, It might not be set up to allow the time for that. And I think that's important that providers kind of, you know, hear and know that and not to be resigned to the system that we work in, but that there are challenges and constraints. And so it's not about you necessarily as a person, because you as a person, you want to potentially do your best and engage in that. But the constraints of your system don't allow for that. It makes me think it's really analogous to talking about burnout and burnout in healthcare providers and how we say, you know, the healthcare provider should be engaging in mindfulness and yoga and they should be doing all these wellness activities to try and counteract burnout when in fact they work in a system that is bringing them down, they don't have the opportunity or the time to engage in in wellness. They don't have the space for it. So Mm -hmm. I feel like her talking about the constraints of the clinical system, I think, is analogous to that conversation about burnout, that we're putting it really all on the provider when there's really system problems that need to be looked at.
3: I think, Giovanni, you really hit on something with that, you know, dividing out provider versus system, because When she talked about over the last 15 years that she's been engaged, providing her patient experience and advocating for herself, she's noticed improvements. And I would think from watching medicine grow that I think it's the providers that are changing. The system will be slower to change because the system gets busier to me. I think the system actually, it gets harder. It's even busier than it ever was. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the provider I was so hopeful that she said she has noticed improvements. And as you were talking, I was thinking, I think that's coming maybe from the provider aspect in terms of just acknowledging the importance of the patient experience. And I think the system is doing that too, but the system hasn't switched giving us more time because that hasn't been solved. Mm. I felt hopeful that it has improved over the time that she's been a patient.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. it's true actually I think the willingness of providers really to prop up and support a broken system is I think it's pretty infinite Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, you know what providers are doing and kind of stepping up to help within the system I think entering conversations with patients I also think it's important to think about agendas what's your agenda in terms of going into the patient encounter and what are you hoping to get out of the encounter or accomplish or what's the outcome of the encounter yeah I think it's important for us to kind of pause and say say, well, what does the patient want in this encounter? What's important to them? What are the outcomes that they want from this encounter? Okay, so it's like a two-way street. I think it's a helpful reminder for us when we enter those conversations. Dory, any last points that you wanted to touch on?
3: I was really impacted when she provided this story of when she was younger telling the social worker you just don't get it and then meeting this social worker later on and the social worker says I understand better now because she had had a child with special needs and Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking over my long career you know having been a patient having had surgery having two parents pass away within the medical system having a child with special needs if I had only had What I learned from all that at the beginning of my practice, I could have been a much better physician. And of course, we can't do that. And I think she made the important point that, you know, when you don't have the experience yet, just to be open and to actively listen. Don't be afraid of actively listening, because honestly, when you truly actively listen, you can save some time. Like it doesn't take as long as people think. In fact, when you don't listen and that makes the patient more anxious and they have to keep talking and saying more things, sometimes that's what can take more time just for our young listeners Mm -hmm. and healthcare providers. Yeah, I think it's so
1: important to come from that place of humility to understand like you can also do some active listening, but there's that huge gap of understanding, understanding that you're not going to be able to cross it. I think about my time working as a family physician before I had children trying to counsel patients on parenting. And I just laugh about that now because it's so ridiculous. I think about the advice I gave them that was just not centered on experience, Mm -hmm. not understanding how individual their experiences as parents were. I think that's such a powerful point to remind everyone of.
0: I think the antidote To that, to that lack of experience, I think is what Julie shared. It's exactly what she shared. The antidote is to rely on patients as the experts in their illness experience and in their story. And that's going to help guide us. And I don't think that'll guide us wrong. Good point. Thanks to Julie for joining us today. Yes.
1: Our clinical experiences have taught us that there is much to be learned in the stories of the people we care for and work with. We hope the story that you have heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic conversations. We'll be back next week with another story. Subscribe to About Empathy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, or listen on our website, aboutempathy.com. When you subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps others find us. Each episode will be added to your app when we publish. Please share our podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and health professionals. You can find the notes from today's episode and information about our show on the website.
3: About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sekaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded virtually and funded by the Gold Award through the Temi Latner Center for Palliative Care at Sinai Health in Toronto. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.